And it's lights out. Welcome back to Flippin' F1 podcast, where four fanboys fire off about F1. Using goofball games, candid commentary, and accessible analysis, not to mention my usual avalanche of alliteration, we'll break down some of the last week's Formula One race, talk about the circuit and the surrounding area, and dig a little deeper into the world's most legendary motorsport. I'm the host you love to roast, Randy, and joining me in the studio is our panel of fanboys. Gareth, attorney by day and minority by night, does our technical analysis. How's the week been treating you, man? Beautiful. Minority, everybody's second favorite team. I'm everybody's second favorite person. Next to your mother. (laughs) My mom does love you. That's fair enough. (laughs) And Phil, our professor, brings a history of the sport along with expert knowledge of olive oil, wine, and other things. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing fantastic, thanks. But that intro has now made me a little bit hungry. Got anything to eat? Uh, I got cheese puffs, if that helps. We're doing the French Grand Prix, Randy. Come on. Sorry, I got cheese puffs. Does that help? Are you going to surrender now? Like Valtteri Bottas? Hey, 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 now. I like the French. I, I like the French. I like their toast. I like their fries. I like their maids. I like their kissing. It's all good. Like, it's, it's, uh, And, of course, rounding us out and ready to cross-examine, or at least examine why things are cross-drilled, our man Spencer. How you doing, mate? I, I'm doing good, Randy. I don't think I'm ever going to live that one down. That's going to live in podcast infamy. Anyway, I now know about break temperature. So there you go. We're all learning all the time. <laughs> and that's what we're here for, learning and something else. I don't really know what. Oh, man. So we're in the middle of a triple header that sees us watching a race every Sunday for the next three consecutive weeks, meaning that Spencer's sleep-deprived analysis in the next few weeks is going to be absolutely something to behold. I'm super looking forward to the race three when he's just like, that's it. I can't stand this Eurocentricity. Yeah, I, I really think that we need to move F1 off of this Eurocentric calendar, Randy, and get it, get it more worldwide. More races in my nighttime, so you guys have to stay after the middle of the night. That's what I'd like to see. Better suggestion, Spence. Just move yourself over to Europe. It'll be easier. Well, and of course, the great irony is this was supposed to be Canada weekend, which means you did get to sleep in and then hang out and watch everything in the afternoon. But that, too bad. So instead, the circuit visited the much maligned Headache Harbinger circuit Paul Ricard in France. And while this racetrack can be an eyesore, it's great to see crowds back and an F1 for the first time since 2019. So while Monaco only saw about 40% capacity of those who can actually afford to go to that race, and Baku was more of a closed-door event, this one, you know, had some people in the stands and added some atmosphere. You know, it was great. I think, Gareth, you summed it up very well. French Grand Prix. It didn't suck. Truth for once. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And it was, this is, of course, the home race for Alpine and drivers Gasly and Akon, and the race does tend to give us some midfield battles. And then, of course, you know, this year we got the same. In fact, we got a battle to the end. Holy crap. I wasn't seeing that coming, man. Super excited. That was for sure. Yeah, that was that was really something. I, I can't believe I'm talking about this like like the French Grand Prix. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> it's just wild. <laughs> so, Phil, outside of the lines, tell us about the circuit itself and some of the history. Who is Paul Ricard exactly? And why did the race move from the historic Manicor? Well, I mean, it's, it's, as with everything in Formula One, it's a complicated history that I could bore you all to death with for hours upon hours of knowledge. But Oh, please do. Uh, yeah, that's why you're the professor. <laughs> that's why I'm the professor, exactly. Get comfortable, gents. We're, we're in for a long haul. You know, the circuit, as you mentioned, apart from the lines, uh, which we'll come back to for sure, it's going to be mentioned a lot throughout the theme, 
Uh, but the circuit has been around for years. It was rebuilt and redone back in uh, the late 90s, early 2000s when Bernie Ecclestone bought it. Uh, but it was actually built by Paul Ricard, who is the famous drink manufacturer from France. There's a drink called Ricard Anise. There we go, Gareth, just for those who want to know how it's properly said. Um, I'm so proud of you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome, right? Uh, yeah, he built the circuit. Uh, he loved racing and came to be a staple. It was used in the, in the late 80s, mostly 80s, for the French Grand Prix. It was fantastic. And then they moved it to Magnicourt, probably, you know, location for where that was. This is fairly close to Monaco. You know, Magnicourt is close to, to Paris, so you can understand why they want to move it around a bit. And yeah, I mean, it's, it came back to being uh, about eight or nine years ago as a Formula One track. It's an interesting circuit. I do wish they turned the taps on, which they have around the circuit, to give it sort of a wet track testing that was used a lot for tire testing and wet circuit testing in the early 2000s. So, a little bit of history to bore you guys with. Yeah, you know, it looked like it was going to rain and it just didn't come. Also a common occurrence at, at the circuit, <laughs> you know? Probably what makes it so boring. It always looks like it's going to rain uh, and it never seems to happen. Oh, man. It poured on the F2 race, didn't it? It did. It, yeah. It did, yeah. It yeah. poured around the F1. It poured during the F2. They did the podium, and it started pouring minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> if only they'd moved the race by a few hours, imagine what we would have had. I'm uh, just saying, man. They could have moved a little bit later, Spence. It could have, should have. <laughs> you know, I got to ask, Phil. Local legend at, uh, at Paul Ricard and Mount Coeur, Alan Prost, loved that course. And, of course, had incredible success at it. And it's been a Ferrari stalwart for years. But does that speak to the design of the cars at the time? Or was there just something about how he drove? I think mostly, yeah, I would say, you know, uh, it was really the design of the cars at the time. The cars were a little lighter. They were certainly narrower, a lot easier to flow. These cars, I don't know. Uh, you, you saw them struggling trying to keep it on the track at times. Yeah, Alan loved it. He was sweeping corners. But, you know, it, it fit his driving style to a T. Yeah. Right? I think certainly nowadays there are fewer drivers that have that smooth style that he had yeah and that makes sense speaking of uh track limits and other things steward stacks we know it's dizzying to be a spectator here but what makes it challenging for the drivers why does this track lend itself to certain constructors more than others i'm actually going to disagree with you about the certain constructors i think this season we're seeing that it's not a mercedes track it's not a red bull track red bulls kind of up their game the tracks that we thought were mercedes tracks you got a long wheelbase you've got some big sweeping corners Maybe that's going out the window these days. It's challenging for the drivers because we've got a, actually a bunch of straights. And there's a couple of stupid chicanes, quite frankly, that really break up what could be a wonderful high-speed straight. And then you've got some big sweeping corners where you're flat out, especially through 10. I believe that's a senior curve. And then you've got these gawky, stupid little slow-speed corners as well, where the current cars, they, they actually look awkward going through those if you watch the onboards. So, yeah, people like it. Some people don't like it. Some drivers hate it. I think Mazepin called it a parking lot. <laughs> which best quote coming from yeah. him for sure best quote from Mazepin right there best thing Nikita Mazepin has done with his F1 career was a quote about Paul <laughs> Ricard circuit being a parking lot <laughs> but it is a parking oh, lot because all the runoffs are paved they've got these stupid lines that make everybody nauseous and you you know they're red they're white they're blue vive la France you could have got that paint in black I'm just saying <laughs> and and because it's a Darren parking lot, people are going over the curb and you've got track limits and the stewards are doing things. You got bollards, you've got big styrofoam signage. You got to go left and right if you go off the track. And we'll talk about it later, but it came up a couple times, critical uh, parts of this race. 
Well, I mean, let's go there, right? I mean, people are grumbling about track limits rules and this, that, and the next thing, and abrasive paint. Tell us more. Uh, because it's so paved, you know, sometimes you can exceed the track limit. So go outside the, you know, just like a regular road, you've got a white line on one side, a white line on the other side. That's your road surface. You can go outside of that and you can go faster in certain places. And I think it was turns one, turns two, you kind of cut those. Turn six, again, you go over, you get a better drive onto the back straight. And the stewards had to say, well, no, if you go over these, then you're either going to get a penalty, you're going to get your lap time deleted, as we saw in qualifying. That's why some people qualified down the bottom. And we saw a couple of controversies. Uh, corner one, lap one, effectively. Max Verstappen went off. Lewis Hamilton got the lead. And if you listen to the commentary, the commentators are... Which bollards does he have to go around? Which is exactly what you want to hear for an exciting Formula One race. He's gone off the track. Which bit of the styrofoam does he have to go around before he rejoins? And, you know, it turns out, well, he didn't have to go around the big bit, just the small bit, because it was technically turn two and not turn one. That's how they made sure that we didn't realize how boring the racing really was. I mean, come on, let's yeah. be honest. With that and one. that was Max Verstappen blaming the wind for that. But I'm going to tell you, 95% of the rest of the field didn't go off there for the record. And then we saw a pass when Perez passed Bottas and Mercedes kept Bottas out thinking, oh, Perez might have gone off the track there a little bit. And you had to go back and watch the replays and all four wheels weren't over the white line. They were just on the white line. So they kept him out. They did not get the fastest lap because he didn't pit him and he was more than five seconds behind. So it was just, you know, that sort of bullshit. If you had a wall there, that wouldn't have happened. That's my vetch on that. I'll turn it over to Andrew Spencer, who I believe has something insightful to add. Look, uh, I will say they have to enforce track limits there. There's so much goddamn pavement that if they didn't, this would be a glorified autocross track, right, that you'd see in your mall parking lot on, on Saturday. We'd all be there with jorts, New Balances, and our Corvettes. <laughs> so yeah. just, to, just to say how easy that circuit is if you don't obey track limits. So I did it on the Formula One game just before the race. You can go flat out for about 90% of the track. <laughs> That's how, I mean, and, and I mean, I'm not saying on the track by any means, but you can go flat out for 90% of the time without hitting anything. So it's just like an elongated oval. <laughs> it is awful. I mean, Basically. it is. I mean, you have to put the track limits in because it's just, they had to break up that straightaway because otherwise it's just silly. It's silly speeds at the end. Yeah, the mistrial straight, the back straight there. Yeah, it would be deadly, yeah, quite frankly. It would be. Yeah. And Andrew, of course, another early morning for you. And now let's ask the question that all of our listeners want to actually know. While the host country is obviously well known, tell us about Cote d'Azur and where the track is located. What stories off the track were catching your attention leading up to the race? Well, you know, we're back in the south of France, Randy, pretty close to Monaco. Or Monaco, if you're Phil Cantrell. At least I speak Monaco, the real language. Or, or maybe we're talking about Monte Carlo. But we're back in that kind of glamorous area of France, right, where there's a lot of money, people love the vacation, and there's, you know, a lot of glitz and glam. You're, you're down closer to Nice and Marseille in that, in that part of the country. Uh, really beautiful part of the world to go visit. I have to say, if you haven't had a chance to go off the track, I mean, I, I think the story is, again, what's happening at Mercedes next year? Who are going to be in those two seats? I think a lot of us are thinking that Lewis is a done deal. But who's going to get that second seat? Is it going to be George? Is it going to be Valtteri? I don't know. Toto saying that he might not make a decision till next winter. And then he was saying that was a bit of a wind-up. But, I mean, I wonder if it's a case where the guy really doesn't know and he needs to see more of the year play out before he can make a call. 
He's already made up his mind. He's the deals is done. Everybody knows. Come on, you cannot say that Bottas doesn't know that he's not at Mercedes with the comments that he's making, with how he's responding. The deal is done. It's signed. Everybody knows where they're going, except for us in the public that haven't been officially told. But even we know what's happening there. You know what? I tend to agree with you, and I think this is going to be one of my points later on that both of those drivers are driving like there's been some news, right? Like Valtteri, you heard him on the radio this weekend. He was pissed and fired up in a way that we don't typically hear him. And George, man, he he ran probably the best race. Well, he says the best race he's had in Williams. So maybe the confidence of a guy with a new drive at a works team next year. Who knows? Yeah, no, it's pretty rare to see a Finn fly off the handle. You know, it's just, oh, there it is. The flying Finn pun. Yeah, no, let's, let's get into it. It's time for Box, 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 Bingo. Bingo! All right, so it's the game where the predictions are poorly informed and the points don't matter. Every race, our panel makes up a series of prognostications, some predictable, some outrageous, all completely irrelevant to the outcome of the race. It's like a weekly series of prop bets where Gareth is almost guaranteed to win just by virtue of being able to move the goalposts. So, (laughs) as ever, Haas driver Nikita Mazepin his proneness to spin or bin during the race makes up the middle of all of our cards, increasing the possibility to win. Each one of our panelists will quickly run through some of their favorite predictions and let us know how they did on their bingo card. So, Professor, you scored. How many of your Silver Arrow slip-up predictions found themselves to be true this week? Well, that part I didn't score on. I mean, I'll be honest yeah. with you right away. <laughs> um, yeah, I finally scored. I finally predicted a race winner. Other than that, Please don't bet on anything I say uh, beforehand in my box box bingo because you're going to lose, folks. Now, I had predicted uh, Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas on the grid. Didn't quite turn out that way. I predicted Verstappen, Hamilton, and then Bottas as the top three. Almost got that one. Come on, got to give me some points on there. Yeah, you know, I predicted there'd be a safety car. There wasn't. Uh, I have a lot of predictions that did not come true, let me tell you. More tire blowouts. There wasn't any of that. I think I... Hoped for rain and predicted rain, but that didn't happen. However, part of that prediction was a two-stop strategy. And I'm pretty sure Verstappen went on a two-stop strategy. Wasn't that the case? Yeah. And then, uh, obviously, I said it would be the most dull race of the year. I got that wrong. It wasn't quite. (laughs) First lap incident. Well, there was an incident, but it didn't pull out the safety car as I'd hoped. And I predicted that Mick Schumacher would finish in the top 15 on this race. That didn't work, but he did qualify in Q2. He qualified 15th, yeah. 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 So there's half points, half points, there. half points. Half points, thank <laughs> you. There, you. there we go. So I've gotten something on the board finally. It's been fun. Predicting, don't bet on my prediction. That's fair. Spence, did you make it on the board? I did, Randy. I got half points, but let me tell you what a half point it is. <laughs> I said... Russell won't be able to get his Williams out of Q1. Whiffed on that. Uh, I said there was going to be an opening lap incident that's going to bring out the safety car. Whiffed on that. Mr. Ricardo was going to get one over on Norris finally again, and I whiffed on that. So there was a lot of misses, but the one thing that I half-nailed was I said that Bottas was going to say something sassy on the radio after securing pole. And he didn't secure the pole. But my lord, he got sassy on the radio. That is as as animated, like we were just talking about, as that guy ever gets. Uh, He was in fine form. Probably my favorite Bottas quote on the radio since 
his win at the Russian uh, Grand Prix last year where he said to all that may concern, uh, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this was, this was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Uh, sassy Valtteri uh, always makes me smile. So I, I think even though that's a half point, I, I'm going to say that there's got to be a multiplier applied, guys. Like I, I think I won. It'll give you a multiplier, 0. 0.03. <laughs> No, no, no. They're greater than one multiplier. <laughs> Two thirds of a point minus one for the math. Excellent. He's just trying to keep himself ahead in this game. How about you, Gareth? How'd you do? Uncharacteristically, I think we all whiffed a bit this week. It was such kind of a up in the air race. I'm not even going to talk about my top five predictions because they weren't correct. I was strong that Esteban Alcon, he got his three year extension with a works Alpine Renault deal. And it was going to be Super France on the podium. And I think he finished in, you know, it's not DFL, but it was close enough. It didn't matter, quite frankly. I, I did predict a two-stop minimum. However, only two drivers two-stopped, believe it or not. Our race winner. Yeah. So Phil and I, we both get half points for that. Our race winner did two-stopped. And uh, Charles Leclerc, who basically finished DFL as well, he two-stopped. <laughs> that was it. Although it was a super brace of surface, that didn't happen. I figured Lewis would win because it's a Mercedes circuit. Turns out it's not. And Red Bull would still leave the constructors. Half points for that. Red Bull does still leave the constructors. Mazepin did not out-qualify Schumacher. And that Bottas's great luck would continue. Points, but no pull. So I got half points twice, which is a full point. So I think I won. Yeah, <laughs> Like, and there's your multiplier, folks. <laughs> your math is priceless. <laughs> it, it's not as spectacular as my call that Valtteri would say something sassy. I think that really has to take it, just, just for, for, the, for the humor. Well, somehow with all of you scoring a half point on the two-stopper, I somehow only scored a third of a point on that because I said there was going to be a two-stopper, but that Red Bull Racing was going to fluff at least one of those stops, and they didn't do that. They were actually, you know, they weren't Red Bull, but they were pretty much on time with everything else. So I got a third of a point there. I really thought there was going to be way more complaining about the floors and about the something's happening with my floor right now and the curbs are going to make me hit the roof. And that just didn't happen, weirdly enough. You know, my outrageous one was that uh, the French drivers were going to crash out and that didn't happen. I don't know. Wow. But that was pretty wild. Oh, I am taking this half point. I said because of deleted laps, Mazepin will finish higher than 18th. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened in qualifying. I'm taking that damn point. That's like a half point. A half? Come on, that's a third. It's only Randy we're talking about. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> He's a third. He's a third. <laughs> that's great. So I get like, you know, four-fifths of a point. Awesome. Excellent. <laughs> just for you, Randy. Just for you. Jesus. <laughs> Can we just talk about whining on the radio for a minute, though? I did predict some whining about it. Lando Norris, how much is that guy going to whine on the radio? Oh, my God. Well, he's following in the great footsteps of Lewis Hamilton in his early career at McLaren. I mean, you were going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. The greatest whiner of all times, you know. Uh, but Lando's doing the same thing. He's following in the same footsteps as, as, as Hamilton. Hopefully he's as successful as Hamilton, but, you know, uh, right now he's just whined. I re-listened to kind of the radio highlights, and he's, Oh, Danny pushed me wide. Pierre's an idiot. All I got to say to you boys is, Brad. Brad. <laughs> Where was that this weekend? <laughs> I don't I didn't know. hear any of that. He was nowhere all weekend long. I didn't hear him complaining about it. I don't know why. No, no. Uncharacteristically, Lance Stroll drove a race 
and scored a point and wasn't caught whining on the radio. His dad has no more money to spend. I mean, you know, he's trying to bid on Pirelli next to buy Pirelli so that, you know, they'll have better tires that don't blow up and <laughs> hurt the Aston Martin, so... Well, and then there's the others, right? I'm seriously thinking about adding a game to one of these weeks where we just finish the sentence, more red flags then. Like, two red flags in a quali? And like, you know, I mean, I think we've only seen two red flags in an actual race. It's all been quali and free practice. I actually put up on our little mural board a 2021 red flag leaderboard. Because I went back and, and wow. took a look at some of the stats. But congratulations, Yuki. You've caused three red flags this year, all in qualifying. Nobody Wait. likes you. Way to make it go from making it look like I knew what I was talking about to actually pointing out that I had the cheat. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. We've got to let the secrets out of the bag, Randy. That's the bottom line. Ah, uh, good stuff. And that's box, 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 bingo for another week. For all of our followers, all, what, seven of you, we're going to put up a blank card on our Twitter feed so that you could play at home before the next race, take a picture of it, tweet it to us at FlippinF1, and maybe we'll talk about some of your predictions when we play box, 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 bingo on FlippinF1. F. Is do, re, mi. Fellas, we're going to try a new game this week since most of us watched the first few laps of the French GP, and then tune out until there are about 10 laps to go. Although clearly that was not this race. and I was not expecting all that much action. I figured you had some time to fill out your music playlist. So in this one, you've been asked to identify one song, any genre and style that sums up this year's French Grand Prix. And to help our listeners, again, you know, all of our moms who may not have watched this race, you'll tell us what the song is and why it tells the race story. You know, because of copyright issues, off, we probably won't uh, play the songs on this cast. We're going we'll to go back our social media to my so teenage who's bedroom get started? Uh, back in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Do it. And listen to some good old Canadian alternative rock with Our Lady Peace. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, for the global audience that we have, this may be a bit of a new one. But, but check on. them out. Our Lady Peace had a, a very famous <laughs> album in the mid to late 90s called Clumsy. And that title track off of that album is where I'm going to go because I thought, you know what, Merck had the pace this week, but they bungled the strategy. It was completely clumsy. Uh, this should have been a win for Lewis and a podium for Valtteri, I think, with their pace, but they just didn't get there. There you go. Exactly. That's fair. Plus, you, you know, we had enough whining to make it sound like Ray made it was singing, so <laughs> it worked out all right. <laughs> all right, Phil, tell us about it, man. So, I mean, I'm not the greatest at this type of thing, but here you go. My pick was Pompeii by Bastille. And basically, I just love the lines in there about the walls kept tumbling down. And how am I going to be an optimist about this? Totally reflecting on Mercedes and where they are right now, and, and oh, correction, where they are not. Uh, I agree with Spence. You know, they really should have had a 1 2 finish on this one, and they bungled it. Totally bungled it. And uh, I'm shocked. Uh, but it's a testament <laughs> to the fact that, you know what? I think we're seeing the end of the domination of Mercedes and finally going to have some competition. Oh, wow. So Phil's now got all kinds of layers in that choice. He's talking about Pompeii and the end of an empire, but he's got Bastille for the French connection. Yeah, I'm no good at this, he says. <laughs> hey, you know? Uh, that's too funny. Gareth? He's done well. He's driving around Halifax, listening to Top 40 radio in his Jetta. He's like, oh, I like this song, <laughs> singing along to it, bopping his head. 
I actually, I really think, so Spence, he, he picked, and I still have this CD. It is packed away in a box in my back room. I've got that CD, Columbia House of Music, Clumsy, 1997. Giving away like my age and Spence's age, I'm, it's falling away from me by corn. It's falling away from me. Hello, Merck. Hello, Ferrari. This race fell away from you. We'll throw Spen Ocon in there too. But you just watch the Ferraris just, whatever they're doing with their tires, they must have like too much mechanical grip or something. They chewed up tires and they just, I think they qualified, what, fifth and sixth or something? And they just fell down. And where did they finish? Signs finished 11th. Leclerc finished 16th. Shockingly bad. Fell down the order. And same with Mercedes. They got pursued and they fell down the order. Man, I, I swear, like the amount of times that we've like hammered on Mercedes during this one podcast, I'm surprised Phil's song wasn't the Hanson's Mbop. I thought about that one, actually. <laughs> I did. Uh, but I thought, you know, that's just a little bit. I get, I get a lot of ridicule from these guys for not being able to talk. But you're British. It's fine, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to face that one of actually knowing that that song existed. But I did think about that one. We, we, we can see next to the degrees on the wall behind you is the cream poster hung up a blue tack of Hanson. <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. It's wild, too, because I also went to the 90s, but I went with Blind Melon's No Rain for a few different reasons. Obviously, there was no rain. It just did not show up, and it really, really changed the entire course of this race. I did think that we were going to get to see two heavyweights hammer each other in the rain, which would have been a lot of fun, I think. Uh, even though we did have a really great race. And, you know, there's all kinds of great racing at Paul Ricard, but you don't see it really because it's Paul Ricard. You've got a headache and you're keeping your eyes closed half the time. So it's, uh, and the race, just like the song, is an accidental success, right? It had no right to be that good or that popular, but everybody seems to be just absolutely loving it. Plus, you know, the gorillas are like the girl in the bee suit. You know, just this cute little thing that just uh, makes absolutely no sense, but it's there. So. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's great stuff. Well, hopefully that got you all into the groove. Man, in fact, the best of our text chat that the panel engages in at every race always brings out some moments of hilarity, and this week was absolutely no exception. There was a moment where Gareth reminded us that Phil was doing a rain dance, although he wasn't sure why yes. he needed a skirt and makeup to do it. Not about... <laughs> You know, three texts later, you could just hear me yelling in the text, dance, man, dance. At that point, I wanted to stop. I know, but I blame you for the rain, man. <laughs> Damn. Trying to get out of it here, guys. What'd you draw, Lewis? So right on, let's move on to what you talk about, Lewis, where we look at the week's best radio calls between driver and pit wall, some of the broadcasters' best moments, and even some of our own commentary from the text chat. So there was some super, super fun moments. So no fancy intro here. Tell me what you noticed about uh, radio calls this week. What were some of the best ones, guys? I mean, the best one is obviously Bardas. We've already talked about it. But, you know, if there was a prize for this, he takes that one for sure. Well, for sure. And then the actual text of that is, why the fuck did no one listen to me when I said it was going to be a two-stopper? <laughs> and you can hear him. I, I listen to F1 TV, the great online app. They do actually on Wednesdays, usually after the race a radio recall, which a bunch of onboards, a bunch of radio. And there's some onboard, I think Valtteri, like lap 28, 29 of 53, where he says, let's go to plan B, plan B being the two-stopper. He wanted to do a two-stop on lap 29, right around where Verstappen pitted. And then once, you know, Verstappen gets past him, he just drops his F-bomb. 
And, you know, turns back to, yeah, we know he doesn't have a contract next year. Well, and it it's also shows that there's there's issues with Mercedes. You've got a driver clearly saying, this isn't going to work. Out of everybody that knows whether something's really going to work or not, the guy on the wheels knows about those tires better than the team sitting wherever they're sitting these days because of COVID and whatnot. Well, there's no excuse for that. Mercedes lost that one fair and square. They had an opportunity to go for the undercut with Bottas and actually come out well ahead, and they failed it. So was Valtteri being kind of a team player by not exercising his right as a driver to say, I'm pitting now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, it doesn't help him if he pitted then. Anyway, he'd lose the chance of the undercut because they wouldn't be ready for him. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Valtteri could have just ended that sentence with, why doesn't any of you listen to me? And just ended it there. And mm. that probably would have been the uh, the Netflix drive to survive moment. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole episode here for that one. Uh, but they won't show it because, you know, it's too, uh, too obvious. It's Merck. <laughs> Although DTS, apparently, they were at Alpine this weekend. Ah, Hence Esteban ah. Alcon's excellent, excellent performance. That's a disappointing episode. I really did think the French cars were going to crash out. I just did not see that happening. That's all good. What else? What was on the radio that you guys noticed? So, you know, one I, I caught on YouTube later, I don't think it made the broadcast, was one where Lando was talking to his race engineer. And his engineer gets in his ear and says, now, Lando, let's make sure this is not a, and I, he referred to a prior race, I think, from last year, the year before in Germany where I guess his tires went off the cliff. And Lando says, I don't know what you expect from me. How am I supposed to know when the tires are going to go off? And then there's a brief pause, and he says, yeah, I think they're gone. Box, box. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious because it's Lando just like responding to one thing. The whole thing is like he gets from – I don't know what you want from me. How am I supposed to know to, oh, shit, yeah, they actually are gone in maybe 10 seconds. It's actually hilarious. And check it out if you haven't heard that already. I have to go back and find that yeah. one, yeah. yeah. I love the I love the, the, the mic conversation that Verstappen was having as, you know, after the second pit stop and his, his mic isn't working. And, uh, you know, his engineer says, yeah, just adjust your mic when you can. I mean, you're doing 300 kilometers an hour. Chasing down the for the lead. But you know what? While you're doing this, why don't you stand on your hands upside down and you know, pat your belly, rub your head, and adjust your microphone so we can hear you better. I didn't know that they had to be a circus performers to, to be a race driver. It's Max. Is there anything he can't do? <laughs> well, that is true. It did get better, so obviously he knew what he was doing. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. You know, the TV guys had some great moments. One of my favorites... So AWS, of course, puts up these great graphics and nobody really knows exactly how they're calculated. And there was this one on car performance and it looks all very official. But like at some point, Croft is just like, I don't know how they calculate that. Ted Kravitz pipes up is like, that's probably in the cloud. Isn't everything in the cloud these days? <laughs> <laughs> Love those AWS <laughs> graphics. Well, it's yeah. a 9.3. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> thank you official sponsor slash official ferrari sponsor whatever works you know it wasn't wasn't on the radio but one of the highlights of my i guess let's say post french grand prix coverage was when uh randy you circulated a meme i don't know where it came from but it was an aws graphic showing the performance of toto's table legs <laughs> <laughs> 
That was funny. Like, that made me laugh out loud. I, I don't know if we can get uh, figure out who needs credit for it and post it on Twitter, but people need to see that. It is funny. Yeah, yeah. We'll get that up on our Twitter feed. There's actually another great meme, and it's funny. Until that one came out, my favorite one of the weekend was a meme that uh, the headline was, here's the king of Paul Ricard. And you see, it was Lewis and Roscoe. And the caption is, here's the king of Paul Ricard and also Lewis. (laughs) (laughs) No longer a Mercedes track. Speaking of uh, some post-race fun, one of my favorite post-race quotes, Nico Rosberg, 2016 Formula One world champion, if you don't know, who retired after winning the championship. He does some commentary now and again for Sky F1. And if you haven't seen Nico's post-race interviews, because he's there with you know somebody else, usually you know Simon or somebody else who's like a real journalist, for lack of a better word, for Sky, and he is just smiling underneath his mask and stirring up the shit. <laughs> it no, it, it it starts off. They've got Lando Norris. They got Pierre Gasly at socially distanced microphones talking about their little incident where Gasly kind of ran off the track and ran Lando off the track. And Lando, what's this guy doing? He's an idiot. Give the place back. Nico just leans it. So he called him an idiot. Do you think he's an idiot? <laughs> and they're right there. It's like, no, we got backpedal. And then they had Toto Wolf and Christian Horner side by each. And he started making bendy wing jokes. It's like, well, your back wing is you get a new back wing this week, but yours is your front wing is still flexing, and you're gonna bring that up sometime soon, Christian. <laughs> and then he does this little monologue about well, Lewis's defense was weak on Verstappen. Like he's just in there, like smiling, stirring the shit. And <laughs> the the F1 Nation podcast touched on it, and the professional journalist there, Natalie Pinkham, lovely woman, she said. You know what? He's saying what we can't say. Yeah. I think think it's fantastic to have somebody who can do that. Then he's not going to get into trouble for it. It's just, uh, you know, he gets the cold as it is and and, and point out some of the the issues. I think it's fantastic. And Christian Horner makes fun of him for still being on the Mercedes payroll. And Total Wolf's like, come here so I can punch you. Like, it's it's pretty hilarious. Uh, Go back, watch the Sky F1. It's on their website. Yeah, speaking of weird things that happened, I don't know if anybody else saw it, but did was it the Alpines or maybe it was the Aston Martins put little Eiffel Towers on their car during one practice? You didn't see what? that? I didn't see that. Yeah, you got to go back and watch this. And maybe they pulled it off before they like went out on the track, but like in the garage, like they had these little chrome Eiffel Towers on the end of the front wing, and it was like, could you be Eddie Tackier, really? Like. That sounds totally like an Aston Martin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. I, it, I was going to say they got money from somebody and they put a logo on the car. Because their car is a dog breakfast. Yeah, I'm not sure that would be Alpine. Alpine's a little bit more conservative than that. <laughs> Maybe those stickers that adds 25 horsepower. Who knows? <laughs> In fairness, the Renault engine needs that. Speaking of money and things like that, for me, the two exchanges I actually also enjoyed was hearing the race director, Massey, respond to Red Bull and to Mercedes. Oh, this was brilliant. As they were both complaining about either damage that was being caused by their cars going off the track or pieces of carbon fiber needing to be returned because you know they need those back they don't have enough you know a it points to a fantastic issue you know cost cap is is going to be an interesting thing to see how the teams can manage as they work through but b keep the cars on the track or pay the fucking price yeah simple yeah there's some great radio in fp1 i think it was where you know mercedes is saying now, all I'm saying is our car is rooted, and then somebody from the FIA, Michael Massey, gets on. It's more than three feet, but I'll have a look. Thank you. Like, just a super <laughs> sarcastic. 
you went off the track, you hit the giant curbs. Why are you complaining to me? Yeah. And the best part is those curbs were there in yeah. 2019. So he answered that. He's like, guys, those curbs are pretty sure were there last year. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) and then we didn't hear anybody complain about them during the race they sorted it out yeah interesting and this one's for you phil so at some point ted i think it was ted it might have been martin called gasly a modern day prost Mm. now is it just like by virtue of the french connection or has he got something on the go here no i think there's something on the go there i mean you know you've got to imagine gasly is you know he pushes the cars to the limit he's getting the most out of that alpha tarry He's really making it work. And if you look at really how Prost was, I mean, Prost was a fantastic driver. Uh, he won four championships. I mean, you know, to be compared to him, 51 race wins, four drivers' championships, competed against the likes of Vance, Senna, Piquet, Rosberg Sr., that is, uh, and Lauda. And he's one of the best drivers. He pushed always to the limit. My best memory of Prost, actually, is the 86 German Grand Prix. I was three. Anybody who wasn't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that comment was coming. How old are you, Phil? I'm old yeah. enough, let me tell you. I remember yeah. the 86 German Grand Prix. But that is my best memory of, for Prost. Uh, he literally ran out of fuel at the last corner and onto the straight of the last lap. And he's so committed to winning, he got out of the car and tried to push the car across the finish line. He was leading the race and tried to push the car across the finish line. He didn't make it, but he still got classified as six because he, everybody else up to that point had been lapped. So to be compared to truly a phenomenal driver like that, I think is it's a sign for, for Gasly what's to come or what he's capable of. But if you look at how he's driving and how he's making that AlphaTauri work in the last two years, last year, 17 races, guys? 19, something was, like that, yeah. Yeah, 18, 19, whatever the number is, right? There were only seven races that he didn't score in the points, yeah. right? Yeah. He's getting the most out of that car. This is the, the former Minardi team, the team that everybody loved, but was always last, mm-hmm. all right? And was proud of it. You know, they were phenomenal for developing drivers. Some of the, yeah. some amazing names have been previous Alonzo, Weber, yeah. Yeah, and here's a team that really seems to have found, they found a groove with this car, and, and Gasly knows how to get the most out of it. Well, if you look at Yuki, Yuki can't get it. No, no and, and they've kept it. Gasly around. They didn't ship him off to Red Bull, and the Red Bull just dropped him off the face of the earth. They're fifth in the championship right now. And I now. think that's the best thing. I mean, I'm excited to see what actually is going to happen next year. And you bring up an interesting point, Phil. So what do they do? Do they dump Yuki and try to grab Mick? That's no. never going to happen. That's Mick's never going to happen. Mick driver. is a Ferrari driver. Uh, I guess he's so, he's yeah. committed to that. That's not going anywhere. I think actually what's going to happen, and I would predict this, uh, I don't want to go to the bank on this one, but I would predict this, that Yuki's out before the end of the season, Albon's back. You heard it here first, put it on your box box bingo cards. (laughs) You know what? They're going to give him to the end of the year. They're going to let him see his full year. They're going to let him see the end of the Honda thing. Right, exactly. They will. They're they're not going to bring him back. If you look, so Alpha Tauri, 45 points right now. Of those 45 points, Pierre Gasly scored 37 of them. Like Yuki's performance... Unless he steps it up, like he's going to be gone, and Alpha Tower needs to do everything they can to hang on to Gasly, because I'm sure anybody who's got an open seat, and there's a few of them, are going to be saying, that guy is so good, going back to your pros comment, we want him in our car, because he knows that he's not going to go back up to the main Red Bull team. I don't think he should either. I think Gasly stays. I think they bring in, we'll see who does better in the F2 fight this year, either Vips or maybe the Ruvula. Or Liam Lawson. I mean, who knows? It could be any one of those three guys. But I think it's going to be whoever finishes closest to the championship league is going to get that seat because 
like you just said, once Honda's gone, I think that's that's Yuki's ticket once. It all depends on what Red Bull is really trying to do with this team. I mean, it's it's their second team. If they just want it to be a, a junior team to them, they're going to do exactly what Spence said. They don't seem to want it to be a junior team, That's though. That's what I mean. They'll do exactly what Spencer said. They'll take one of their junior drivers and bring them into the sport. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to bring Albon or somebody else back in. If that team can perform solidly, it means that they're actually limiting some of the damage that teams like Mercedes can do by themselves. Mm -hmm. No, they're taking points off people who can take points off the main Red Bull team. So they need strong drivers to do that. They need a strong team to do that. If they can keep Gasly, I think that'd be phenomenal. Yeah, with the engine freeze and the Honda engine, if you could have you know Red Bull Racing finish first and AlphaTauri finishing third or even higher, like third or fourth, yeah, yeah. So let's bring our listeners who are new to the sport into the conversation a little bit. What do we mean when we say the silly season? Because we've kind of clearly gone into a little bit of inside baseball around who's moving where and what's going what. So what do they mean? about the silly season or why they call it that you know what is silly season i think is a quote from dts1 well everybody puts on big red noses and giant (laughs) shoes but then we debate the absurd hypotheticals about where certain drivers are going to go for next year and what certain teams are going to do this is my favorite part of the cast so far because all night long spence has been getting white girl drunk on rosé he's just been slamming (laughs) it back You could just see him wanted to go there. It's great. <laughs> I thought Garrett was getting that mixed up with his Friday nights from undergrad, but who can say? I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. You know, it's funny, like, because we're going to start to hear the commentators talk about the silly season and where things are going to go. And the rumors have already started. We even got into it, right? The deal's done with Merck, yada, yada, yada. I don't know that I believe that, but it's kind of what the logic seems to point to. So, I mean, there's big questions, right? What do you guys think is going to happen this silly season? What are some of the big stories we're going to start to see over the next few weeks? I've laid all mine out. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's where does Russell go? I mean, that's one. The other one I, I said, I said that old man Raikkonen finally is going to fuck off somewhere into the sun. And you're going to see an Alfa Romeo Sauber team next year. Gio's going to stay. He's going to be the, the experienced uh, hand at the wheel there next year. They're going to give Calamine a lot of chance to see if he can beat Gio, and he's going to have a year. If he can't, he's gone. It goes to the next guy in the Ferrari stable, probably Schwartzman. Yeah. I think that's something that we're going to get some clarity on in the next little while. I don't know. I think Raikkonen's going to stay one more year. We've been saying Raikkonen's got one more year for the last three or four years. Like it, It's got to be. And he's had yeah. one more year for the last three or four years. You know what? It's he's not almost as old as Phil, year. for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I'm older. Uh, <laughs> I like, I'm old enough to remember when Raikkonen was young. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> old enough to remember when Raikkonen drove for Sauber. Yeah. Right? The first time, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you look at him, you know, he's still got pace. He's competing. He's still holding his own. Giovinazzi has just started to perform a little bit better in, in some races and things like that. I think he's got another year, but I don't think he's got more than that. It all depends. I mean, obviously it depends on, at the end of the day, Alpha's uh, management and how they want to see things work. One of the seats is committed to Ferrari, not two, right? And so uh, technically, Giovinazzi is the Ferrari driver at that. So what happens to Illot and all the others is, is questionable. He's not going to be the Ferrari driver next year, though. Like, I think he's going to be Sauber's guy then, right? Like, like I said, he's going to be the experienced hand of the team. And I think Ferrari will put someone else in the seat. Uh, I, I think Sauber's going to That's fair. I think it's taking a big gamble, though. Taking away somebody who's got literally what, 15 years of race experience or more? And you've got Giovinazzi that's got, what, three? 
you know, that's a big switch. I mean, that's that's not as drastic as what, as what Haas is doing right now, but it's close. So I got to ask then, what does Williams do, right? Nobody's talking about them. Do they go shopping? What what happens with those guys? You know, should George go away and, and what happens there? Like, does Latifi stay? Do they start with a whole new, uh, a new roster of rookies? What do you think? I, I think, first of all, I think Bottas is going back there. I think, to me, that deal is done. That's the only seat he's, that's really available to him, right? If you look at all the other ones are somehow linked up to partnerships and things like that. Uh, I think he'd go back to Williams. And if that's the case, I don't know what happens to Latifi. You know, is he performing enough? He's doing pretty good. He's holding his own against Russell, but he's not outperforming Russell. Right. No, he's not. But, I mean, he brings a lot of money, right? He brings a lot of money to that team. I don't know. Tough to say at this point whether Doralton is going to want to bankroll that minus the Safina cash. True, but it depends on if they want to be a front-leading team or if they just want to be a cash-strap team all the time. They're going to have to make that call at some point. Do we know, Phil, or Andrew or Andy, who's behind Doralton? Like, who actually bought the team? That's the kind of thing I look to you for, man. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I don't. Cause Do- uh, you're Doralton- the expert at the research? <laughs> yeah, no, because Doralton is kind of a... You know, private equity machine. So you assume if Latifi's dad, you know, Canadian daddy billionaires, if Latifi's dad was going to buy Williams, he would have done it and not through kind of another entity. So Latifi's there, he's bringing all this Safina sponsorship, love me some cheese, but they might look around and say, where are we going with this? What are we doing with, because I'm assuming they have an out plan. They're a private equity company. You'd think they would. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, then you have to ask, like, who are the logical buyers, right? And, you know, maybe... It's the Volkswagen connection. Right, maybe it's Volkswagen, maybe it's Latifi. I hear uh, Dimitri Maspin is still looking for a team. Who knows? Maybe maybe that's... Like... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you had us first. The whole family family Williams. There we go. Yeah. Who, who can say, guys? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Dimitri Mazepin, he might be looking, but he doesn't have a Formula One driver to put it no. in. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> I don't think Dalton's in the business of selling this right now. But until either one or two things, there's absolutely no way they're going to be able to make it work. Or when it's up from where it was, so they can actually sell it. And, I mean, it's, they're an equity firm, as you said. They're only going to sell it when they've actually got some serious cash coming in from it. Yeah, but to get serious cash from it, you've got to get some actual drivers that can generate cash, generate sponsorship, generate something. You know, well, you generate points, generate TV money, generate standings, generate excitement, which gets you the sponsors. Generate merch for Pete's sake. You go to like Fuel for Fans yeah. right now, like there's no Williams merch. I'm like, what the hell? But I just want a blue shirt that says Williams. What if the Bottas deal is already done? He is going to Williams, and that's why he started to the profanity on the radio. Makes sense. I guess so, because yeah. he knows he's not going to be the radio from here on in. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, it could very well be, you know. Or is it to build that excitement, right? I don't know, man. I just... I... <laughs> I'm I'm clawing at things here, guys. Valbot in a Williams exciting? I don't know, man. I... Is Valbot ever exciting? Oh, I think he is. I think he's, he is a good driver. I mean, and it sucks that Mercedes have just strung him on with a number of one-year contracts. I take away nothing from him as a driver, but in a Williams, he's just a very well-paid pylon. But guys, he's <laughs> not going into potentially Williams. He's going into Williams after the rule reset, and who the hell knows what the grid's going to look like next year? I mean, we're all guessing. I think we assume, like, you know, Red Bull and Mercedes are going to be strong again, but I mean, who can say? 
Well, I mean, yeah, the whole thing changes next year, right? Red Bull's building their own engines. Mercedes is stripped down from where they're spending at. You know, everybody's floor is actually a floor. So at some point, like, somebody's going to spend so much on the engine that they're going to have to use basically, like, plywood as a chassis. So that's, no, that's too costly. It's cardboard. Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. But it'll, it'll fit with the whole uh, ecological theme. Use recycled stuff. Just go get it at the skip behind Home Depot. Yes, yes. And if it rains, it'll also dissolve. It'll be fine. No problem. That's part of the excitement. I'm, I'm actually just pulled up kind of a 2022 team and lineup just to double check. You know, we're talking silly season. We may as well just run through it right quick. Yeah, sure. You know, Mercedes hasn't confirmed any of the drivers for next year. Yeah. Talked yeah. about that. Yep. Uh, Red Bull. We don't know who's going to pair Max Verstappen. Yeah, it's going to be Checo. I mean, it's going to be Checo. Yeah. It's, it's got to be Checo. It's Checo. Absolutely. I mean, I agree. It has to be. You know, they finally got a driver that can handle how Verstappen likes his car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. From that perspective, Verstappen kind of reminds me of Michael Schumacher. Schumacher loved a car that had a really loose rear end. And to that degree, that's what this Red Bull is. Yeah. Way to hold it back, Gareth. I saw it there, but you did, you did well. Well done. Well done. I was trying to get a <laughs> debate going there. <laughs> oh, I don't know that it was a debate that was coming at you, Phil. <laughs> I'm not going to make jokes about people's irritable bowel syndrome at all. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's one that's probably get cut out. Awesome. Yeah, that's going to get cut out. <laughs> <laughs> what else is on that, uh, that list for 2022? We've touched on AlphaTauri. Nobody's confirmed over there at AlphaTauri. Same with Alfa Romeo. We don't know. The Williams seats are up in the air. And then uh, Mick Schumacher. His seat is also up in the air as well. Yeah. You assume yeah. he's going to get confirmed again unless he gets bumped up to Alfa Romeo. And that's assuming Sauber remains with Alfa Romeo, which remains a priori partner, because Stellantis, the company that sounds like a cholesterol pill, we don't know how long they're going to stick around with uh, with Sauber. Yeah, excellent. So let's close out this week's episode with Winner Whinge. Each of us are going to drop three things into this group chat that you enjoyed, you were perplexed by, or simply downright irked with from this weekend's race. So how do we start today? Spencer, we started last with you, so let's get started first with you on this one. All right. I mean, I think we've talked about a lot of my impressions already. First of all, we didn't see him on coverage, but Russell drove his best race of the year. Yeah. Is it the confidence of a man with a new contract with a works team? I guess time will tell. But I think we've covered that in enough detail. We don't need to go back into that now. The stripes. They almost gave me a seizure. And if I hear one more person tell me about how abrasive they are, I'm going to throw something at my TV. Uh, that was really beat into our head over the course of this weekend. Oh, man, there was a great Martin Brundle moment where he's like, I am no longer talking about Mercedes Jesse's numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. And and finally, we need a, a Grand Prix of France. That's like undeniable. But can we go to Magnicor instead? I'll admit I wasn't really a fan uh, the last time the races were at Magnicor, but I don't think we can look at the success of this particular race as indicative of what we're going to get here going forward. Like, let's go to a more exciting track, something that isn't an autocross yeah. track in a parking lot. Yeah. yeah. Bill? Uh, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I think 
was a good weekend. I think Red Bull looks like they're finally figuring a few things out and, and making things happen there. My sieges have stopped and I've recovered, just as uh, Spencer was saying. Uh, my big question is, where are the sand traps? Let's have some sand traps. You want to race here? Fantastic. Give me sand traps. Uh, or give me huge bollards that destroy the floor of the cars so teams don't venture out there. Give us something. It was certainly way better than expected. It was exciting. It was fun. Maybe for the last five laps. Well, maybe a bit longer. I think you just found a way to make uh, Spence excited about Eurocentric racing. Make it look like a golf course. <laughs> there we go. He may actually want to wake up and watch it then. Is that the idea? Hey, you know what? I'd like to say for the record, guys, on the Eurocentric nature of this championship, between the four of us, I know three of us have watched the last kind of two or three races live. One of us has not. And the guy in the West Coast has been up for all of them. Looking at you, Mr. Stackhouse. Sometimes I like to sleep. What about it? What about it? Other things for me on this whole weekend. Turn on the taps. Let's have an adventure. That circuit has the ability to have some, at least some, some wet parts. Let's make it wet. It'd be entertaining to go through. As we head to the next race, I am, uh, I'm looking forward to the Red Bull ring. Although, uh, and this will please Randy as I say this, out of the last eight events, Mercedes has won six at this circuit. And I know Garrett's going to tell me we're proving that tracks are no longer specific to one team or another. I'm not sure I'm convinced about that just yet, but I can certainly be proven wrong. But And also, please, you know, I'm looking forward to the race. I'm looking forward to things. But let's not have any fabricated finishes, which unfortunately, you know, that circuit is known for. No, that's fair. That's fair. That works. Good stuff. Gareth, what, what was yours? What was your three winter win? So picking up on the next race, dovetailing with Phil, I don't think there's such thing as a Mercedes track or Red Bull track this year. We have an incredibly tight championship. I think there was a number of laps in this race where your top three, I think they're covered by like 1.3 seconds. And that is fantastic to see that we have two competitive. Yeah, you've got two teams who are streaking away a minute in front of everybody, but there's two teams and they're fighting for it. So I don't think it's a Mercedes track. I think it's going to smell of towering and later hosen. It's going to be great. <laughs> Beautiful track. Uh, my circuit observation, what the heck with those gorillas? They're way nicer than the stripes. The gorillas, by the way, designed by Richard Orlinski. He's a French artist. He's uh, one of the best-selling contemporary French artists around the world. And he did the gorillas, both the small ones and the big ones. I thought it was a cute touch. Way better than a lot of other trophies. Never better than Hungary. The trophies always look like grandma's china cabinet. <laughs> My observation for this race, Andrew touched on this, Russell drove his best race. No points, but he finished 12th, and that means that he is top of the zero-point people in the standings, so he's 17th, ahead of everybody else at Williams and Haas, as well as Williams is now ninth in the championship instead of 10th, which I thought was fantastic. Because that's what matters. If these guys are not going to score points this year, and we hope they do, drives like this where you get to 12th or 11th, you're, you're, you know, best of the unpointed, that's going to give you guys the championship standings and the TV money that comes with those. And then my future of the sport observation is, my God, and this is future of the world, quite frankly, there are fans, there was cheering when Max passed Hamilton. That was awesome. By actual you. fans oh. in the stands. Made my heart melt, single tear. We're, you know, we're all sitting here lined up, having had or soon to have our second vaccinations. You know, the future is starting to feel a little bit normalish. F1 has gotten through COVID. 
an F1 kind of, let's call it like our ritual, our touchstone has gotten us through this in part, and it's starting to feel normal, and it's starting to tell us that the world's going to be normal. All kinds of optimism from Stackhouse. Wow. Uncharacteristic, yes, I know. It had to come at some point. Yeah. I feel a little fuzzy. It's, uh... it's because you were rocking a beard, Randy. This is how it goes, man. <laughs> Stackhouse, I agree with almost all of that, with one exception. I thought the Gorilla trophies were ridiculous. And just maybe a step better than the generic F1 trophy you get at a lot of tracks these days. I'm glad you pointed out that we were gorillas. I thought, and because I, I didn't look or pay attention, I thought they were the Michelin men. And I was like, that is bizarre because it's Pirelli, but okay. And I didn't bother <laughs> to even think about it after that. So, okay, gorillas. Could somebody explain to me then why are they gorillas? This is, this is the south of France, for Christ's sake. Oh my god, but that would have been the greatest troll ever if all the trophies were the Michelin man. <laughs> they were absolutely ridiculous. Holy crap. I love it. But that's the point of, if you've ever driven a, or seen a French automobile, the best ones are absolutely ridiculous. There's somebody that's just true. around the street from me who's got a Citroën CX. It's ridiculous. Hydro pneumatic. It looks like a spaceship from 1989. <laughs> love it. Keep it up. Randy, over to you. Yeah, you know, what's wild, and I, I mean, I think you're right. It was great to see some of the new normal, but how much of a pisser is it going to be that we're like, oh, my God, Paul Ricard was great. What a great race. It's going to be a great rest of the season. And then it's just all a professional from here on in. Like, Paul Ricard all of a sudden becomes the highlight of the 2021 season. I'm going to go nuts if this happens. <laughs> I'm burning it down. <laughs> so, Randy, I had, it, I had it directly in the middle. I thought it was, like, I went through after the race and said, where did this fall in our hierarchy of races in 2021? And I thought it was smack dab right in the middle. So like, so far, like a, a good race, an entertaining race, better than probably Barcelona, better than Portugal, but still for me, probably behind, you know, Azerbaijan, probably behind Imola, you know, so like kind of like right in the, right in the middle of the pack and behind Bahrain too. Bahrain was excellent. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. I don't know, man. Like, O-Ring it always makes for fantastic races, right? It's uh, Last year was no exception. It was about the only time last year where Gareth was awake for the entire Sunday of a race. Usually he just stops and goes hiking. But it was just too good a race not to watch all the way through. It was, you know, the passing was excellent. The strategy was wild. I'm hoping to see that again. And it's interesting, right? Because if there are fans in the stands now, you know, does Red Bull actually have a home court advantage and so all kinds of fun possibilities next weekend. Going back to sort of my team observations, you know, the team we didn't talk about this week uh, a whole lot, but I was really watching and was really excited about was McLaren, right? They seemed ascendant this weekend. They really did push the midfield battle into a new stratosphere, and they really sort of showed. Speaking of passing, yeah. Randy, Danny Rick, he was on the button with his passes. Right. We started yeah. to sort of see Danny getting comfortable with that car, figuring out the late braking. And we're coming up to, you know, I mean, two races at the O-Ring. Again, we're going to start to see Danny do what he does. It could make for a lot of fun, right? That bodes well. And I, I thought, you know, McLaren is, was worth a mention because they, they really just did uh, bring something different. As I said, this race was far, far better than it had any right to be. But that actually makes me excited for next year, right? Because it tells us a little bit about... Hey, and we've touched on this a little bit. What's the salary cap going to do next year? How is that going to change the game again? And, you know, there's the chance that it could make it really boring. And I think we're starting to see that, wait a minute, 
if some of this equalizes, I mean, it's never going to be a 20 car race for the world championship, but man, three, four cars in it, or, you know, two, three teams as opposed to just two teams. Like there's just so many different permutations, so much fun to be had there. That looks good. That said, the track doesn't do Cote de Jure and, you know, Le Casselet any justice. Like it is such a beautiful, beautiful area. And then there's this eyesore in the middle of the thing that's painted like it's, you know, an American flea market. Like, it's just, you know, like... This plays into the gorilla statue. And there goes our American audiences, folks. Thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure having you here while you lasted. Oh, God. But yeah, like, it just, you know, it's such a beautiful place. And again, we've come from tracks like Azerbaijan, where it's just, like, it makes use of the city. And, like, in an Austro ring all of the shots that comes over the hills and you see the beauty of the place and, and the thing just looks amazing. And, you know, you've got the bull statue and it just feels good. And then you're thinking, okay, gosh, South of France and great food and great wine. and Oh my God, I've got to be slamming Rosé to watch this race. Andy Spencer? <laughs> you know, the other thing, I will have to make a fashion comment because it is a thing. You know, I was unsure about Lewis's green boots, but that Canada edition Merc hat was absolute fire. And I, I say so because I went out and bought one. It's awesome. So Lewis's marketing campaign is working is what we're hearing. <laughs> Can't you see the giant can of monster that Randy's drinking right now? That's <laughs> true. <laughs> awesome. Well, that's it. Ah, let's get in there, fellas. A checkered flag drops on another race week. We've had a great time breaking down for all of y'all. Hope you'll join us in two weeks when the hills come alive with the sound of engines. For two weeks straight, we're going to be at the Astara Ring in Austria, where we always see a couple of great, great races. If you like what you've heard, please throw us some stars. Even better, please follow us at, at Flippin' F1. Tweet out this link to the broadcast or invite a friend with you next week. We'll talk to you then. Fellas, say your goodbyes. Goodbye, fellas. Cheers, guys. 